Hello, everybody. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Raise Bay Podcast Network. I am your host, Brett Rutherford, and it was a great start to the road trip for the Rays. Uh, last week, I had Darby Robinson on. Him and I were both very skeptical or cautiously optimistic about the Rays going on this road trip after performing so well at home, taking three or four from the Yankees. And they followed it up with some more great baseball. Uh, broke franchise records all across the board at Fenway Park with a four-game sweep there. Then went to Toronto. Actually scratched that. Not Toronto. Went to Buffalo to play the Blue Jays for a three-game set, taking two of three. And that, that series finale just wrapped up a few minutes ago. And uh, so my guest and I are riding off the high of that last victory. And joining me today is the one and only, making his Raise Your Voice debut, Dominic Vega. Dominic, what's up, man? How's it going? Oh, feels good. Feels good come doing recording these after a win. I know this is your debut, but I've recorded these after losses, and it's just not as fun. I love doing it after wins, and uh, that Willie Adamas go-ahead home run. G- gotta love that. Especially after a doubleheader sweep, but yeah, Willie getting us the capping off the sweep. Love to see it. Yeah, you know, it, well, doubleheader is like, you know, the one of these games they finished off from yesterday. It was only like yep. the second or third suspended game in franchise history. I think the first one since 2005, I, they were mentioning on the broadcast. Uh, but rain in Buffalo at the uh, Buffalo Bison Stadium that the Blue Jays have, are calling home at this point uh, forced the game to be postponed or suspended and they picked it up again today. They kicked it, kicked it off in the – were they into the fifth yet going into today? I do not remember. They, uh, but top four. It was top of four. And then – so Yarbrough, you know, you only get how many innings out of Yarbrough. And we're going we're gonna to go, you know, deeper dive into this series as we get later into the show. But, uh, yeah, they finished that one off. And then because it's still technically a doubleheader, they had to finish that game off the second game was shortened to just seven innings, even though it did go in two extras. But, yeah, exciting. Uh, you guys have probably seen Dom's work not only on DRaysBay.com but also on Twitter. Uh, Dom is the GIF, the video, the graphics specialist for DRays Bay and the Twitter feed. Uh, Dom, I got to ask you before we start, do you pronounce it GIF or GIF? I pronounce it the correct way. It's GIF. Oh, yeah, I know. I know it's incorrect. I stick with GIF. It sounds better. And uh, you know what? My show, my rules. So you can call it GIF. That's fair. Uh, but but I'll, I'll, I'll keep calling it GIF. And obviously, you've done uh, amazing work for the site and for the, for the Twitter feed as well, Dom. And uh, tons of roster news to go through. So I think we need to roll through that before we get into the series and some of the uh, top performances from this past week. Uh, but Darby and I mentioned it last week. Uh, Charlie Morton going on the 10-day IL. When that injury happened, when you saw Morton kind of wince after the throw, uh, Kevin Cash and the trainers go out there to look at him and immediately decide to change pitchers. What was that initial feeling when you saw that, Dom? I was just like, please don't be a tear. More than anything, just don't be a tear. Especially at this point in Charlie Morton's career. Absolutely. I mean – that was the first thing that thought ran through my mind. It was just don't be a tear. And when, like when he, the trainers come out and it's he's nodding his head no, and just immediately coming out, it's just the first thing you're thinking of is the worst. Yeah, you know, and bad news is he did go on the IL with some right shoulder inflammation. Good news is just recently threw a 20 pitch bullpen, so he's already back on the mound, uh, which is I think a lot quicker than I think a lot of people, a lot of fans would have expected. And I don't think the Rays will be missing him for too long. Maybe get him ramped back up in the next couple of weeks. Still hurts, though, because of how short this season is. Uh, like eight or nine weeks in the regular season. Uh, it just isn't a whole lot of time. And when you're missing, you know, two weeks or three weeks worth of starts, that's a big chunk of the season, and that hurts. And, and the Rays pitching staff and the Rays depth is, it has really been put to the test this week. Because of that, um, some smaller news, Sean Gilmartin and Kevin Smith, two players who were both designated for assignment last week. Both of them passed through waivers. The Rays were able to keep both of those guys. They've reported back to Port Charlotte after being uh, you know, DFA'd. Uh, Kevin Smith was the third catcher on the roster, was not kept when the rosters were reduced. But the Rays, I think they're very happy to be able to keep him with the organization, at least for now. 
Uh, Ronaldo Hernandez, I don't know if this was mentioned on last week's show or not. I don't remember if this had been news yet. I think Darby and I talked about it a little bit. Was added to the taxi squad for the road trip. We have not seen him. Uh, I really doubt that he is going to make an appearance unless there is an injury. Uh, But good experience for uh, Ronaldo Hernandez to get to travel with the team and, and be a part of the taxi squad. Andrew Kittredge, another pitcher injury. This one looks like he'll be out for the season with a UCL sprain. I haven't heard uh, the the infamous uh, TJ word yet, but it looks like he, he is on the 60-day IL. If he spends a minimum of 60 days away from the team, I think that would give him a couple days. I, I, at this point, I don't know. I think he'd be out for the year, uh, maybe the postseason. But Andrew Kittredge's season – probably over Dom from Kittredge. It, you know, I, I think we got to see, you know, pretty much all he is. He's not great, but he can eat multiple innings out of the bullpen. How much are the Rays going to miss a guy like that for the rest of the season? I would say a lot, but because Gil Martin got to uh, go through waivers and we got to keep him, I think that helps a lot. Yeah, definitely. And also the, um, the kind of, not the revelation, he hasn't been great, but Ryan Thompson, you know, he's shown that he can pitch multiple innings out of the bullpen. I know he struggled in a couple outings, but you go back to that outing on opening day, looked really good. Uh, he pitched two innings of, of work in that one. So again, the Rays are set up for these types of injuries. You obviously hate to see it. Kittredge is a guy I liked. Uh, the fastball and the slider play really nicely when they're on. And, uh, Sounds like his season is, is over, which is unfortunate. Uh, going back to the good news, I guess that's what we're doing here. We're going bad news, good news, bad news, good news. Uh, middle infield prospect Xavier Edwards also added to the 60-man player pool. He is in Port Charlotte. Uh, he was acquired back, if you remember, in the Tommy Pham trade this offseason and probably the quickest uh, nickname ever given to a player in franchise history. We're not going to talk about it on the show, uh, but if you're unclear as to what I'm alluding to, just go back and listen to Blake Snell's uh, reaction to that trade on his Twitch channel. Uh, Funny stuff there. Um, But Xavier Edwards, a guy that I was really excited to see in the Rays minor league system this year with COVID and with the minor league season being shut down, we were unable to do so, but he may you know, I, I, again, another guy that I doubt will make it to the big league roster, but we may get more info, uh, you know, on him, maybe a couple stories on him out of that Port Charlotte site. When he was in the San Diego system last year at the uh, class A and the high A levels, a really good middle infielder, uh, slash line of 322, 375, 396, picked up 34 stolen bases uh, and doesn't strike out a whole lot either. 561 plate appearances in the minor leagues last year, only 54 strikeouts also drew 44 walks. This is a guy that can play second base or shortstop is going to get on base is going to snag a few uh, stolen bases for you too. So some good news there back to the bad news, Jose Alvarado, 10 day IL left shoulder inflammation that happened on August 15th, a guy that dealt with a lot last year, Uh, had some personal issues. He had to go back to Venezuela for a bit dealt with some injuries, wasn't always great when he was on the mound. This year, started to see some good signs. Also had a couple bad outings as well, but goes back on the IL with left shoulder inflammation. Dom, should, should Rays fans be worried about Jose Alvarado's career trajectory moving forward after what's kind of transpired these last few years? Not yet. Now, he was much better this season. And I mean, he, I think it was opening day or second uh, game of the season. He did not, he looked just like last season's form where no command spiking curveballs. but as the season's gone, we're only talking about three weeks, but he is quickly started to look like the Alvarado that was going viral and had command to an extent, but the reliable Alvarado. Now, the only thing is obviously we're trying to, limit workloads and even though Alvarado didn't see that much time still got hurt that's just to me the short season with the slow wind up things like that are bound to happen yeah it is and it sucks because you know if and when the Rays do get him back what's his workload going to be moving forward and then like we've been saying it's a constant storyline we're going to blink and the season's going to be over it's already the middle of August the Mm -hmm. season the regular season is still ending at the same date. So 
Uh, you hate to see it for Jose Alvarado. This season for a lot of players, you're going to kind of draw it up as a wash. You hope that going into 2021, the Rays can get all these guys, but especially Jose Alvarado, completely healthy. Uh, because for a lot, you know, for a while, he was kind of considered the, the closer of the future. And I know the Rays don't always name a closer. They hardly ever do. And when they do, that's not really a role that a player holds in the Rays organization or any organization for a long time. But Alvarado, you know, still bright, young pitcher uh, with some incredible stuff. You hope he gets healthy, gets back to the bullpen in no time. Uh, back to the good news to finish off this roster news uh, part of the show. Yanni Torinos was activated. He went on the IL uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and he made the start in Sunday's season finale against Toronto. Now, did not go deep into the ballgame. Um, only pitched like three and a third innings, I think, in this one. But really good to see Yanni Torinos back, especially with the fact that the Rays are still building up Snell and Glass now back into the rotation. And Charlie Morton goes on the IL. So when you get a guy like Torinos back in the rotation, uh, nothing but, but good stuff there. But, Dom, we got to talk about him. He is not only the hottest player on the Rays right now, but one of, if not the most productive players in all of baseball, Brandon Lau. Uh, going into Sunday's game, Sunday's second game, carried a slash line of 342, 409, 747 slugging percentage. Had seven home runs, seven doubles, and two triples. Leads all of baseball in extra base hits, including a 459-foot home run in the series against the Red Sox. Dom, I know around the fan base, and specifically, and I've, I've always ragged on Jim since I had him on the show earlier this year, specifically within uh, D-Rays Bay, there's been a lot of doubt about Brandon Lau. The strikeouts mm -hmm. are up. You know, he's a, he's a high strikeout guy. He's a second baseman. He hasn't been a great defensive second baseman. He also plays in left field. But, I mean, he, he's, he's proven pretty much everyone wrong. How impressed have you been with Brandon Lau to start the season? I thought his bat was going to be best on the team at some point, three, five years down the line. I wasn't expecting it to be second full season in the league. He's been destroying the ball. He's been not chasing as much. He's been just about as great as a hitter as you can ask for. Yeah, uh, incredible stuff. And really the development that I've loved to see is that with a, as good of a season he had last year, he was an amazing player last year. He was an all-star last year. The Rays still kind of viewed him as a platoon player. I know we're working with a small sample size here. But through 26 plate appearances versus left-handed pitchers, he's already got four home runs. Mm -hmm. He's getting on base, I think, at an above a 400 clip and uh, much better than what he was doing last year against left-handed pitchers. Is it safe to say that he is no longer a platoon guy anymore? I would put it in Sharpie, second baseman from here on out. I, I love it. I love it. And it, and it's, it, it, makes thing, it works things out a lot for the Rays because you look at – the number of players already on the 40-man roster that can play middle infield. And then you look at the prospect pool and the top 30 prospects and how many middle infielders there are. There's a lot of uncertainty. Willie Adamas, at least for now, we all know Wander Franco's there, ready to play maybe next year. But Willie Adamas got shortstop locked up. Second base, going into this year, and going into last year, really, this year, Brandon Lau, we knew he was going to get the plate appearances and get the innings at second base. We got Daniel Robertson. You had Joey Wendell, who had a really good 2018. Uh, you had Michael Brasso, who another guy that's really kind of, you know, quieting down the haters uh, and having a really good start to 2020 and, and showing why the Rays value him. But then you look, in the, you know, in the prospect tool, you got the Brujan, you've got Xavier Edwards, who we just mentioned, Taylor Walls, another middle infield prospect. I'm sure I'm, uh, Lucius Fox, who's probably more of a shortstop, maybe third baseman, um, but like just a ton of middle infielders. And so with that uncertainty and with Brandon Lau performing the way he is, you're reducing the, you know, let's platoon guys, let's fill guys in, let's split up the innings here. It is Brandon Lau. And, it, and as a fan, knowing that he is going to be in the lineup at second base every day, no matter who's pitching, that's a lot more comforting. And to know that he's actually going to produce, no matter if it's a lefty or a righty. But 
Dom, talk to me a little bit more about some of Lau's numbers this season and, and why fans should be excited that he is not only one of the best players on this team, but across the American League and in Major League Baseball. So there's no question the numbers, the average OPS. He's producing, but what he's also doing is not swinging outside of the zone. Last year, he was at 29.5%. This year, it's down to 23.5%. He's not swinging as much in general, but specifically on out of the zone. Siri activated. <laughs> specifically, <laughs> it happens to me all the time when I'm recording. He's gotten that down about 7%. He's also making contact a lot more on specifically in the zone, up from 37% up to 43%. He's just become a much more disciplined player in what's basically an offseason. Yeah, and... I mentioned it earlier, or I don't know if I mentioned it on the recording. It might've been on Slack earlier, but the Rays, I had just noticed from like an observational standpoint, they're taking more pitches. They're working deeper into counts and they're drawing a lot more walks and uh, JT Morgan, because that's what he does uh, backed me up. We're showing all the walk rate numbers. I Brandon Lau in terms of walk rate, and that's not necessarily all that plate discipline is uh, was actually the one that like his walk rate hadn't changed that much. Um, but looking across the Rays team, they, they have done a much better job at working deeper into counts. And I think that's, you know, credit to the guys they brought in, Jose, uh, Jose Martinez and Yoshi Tsutsugo, who have been kind of the leaders of that movement of taking pitches. Yoshi, I think, had a 15% plus walk rate in Japan, and he's yep. got similar numbers here in the States so far in 2020. He's at yeah, 14%. That's pretty pretty good stuff there. Yandy Diaz, who is his batting average, if you look at the batting average, isn't having a great season. You look at the on-base percentage, he is still producing. Now we'd like to see the power numbers go up. We'd like to see the launch angle get back to a similar spot uh, as it was last year when the Rays, quote-unquote, unlocked Yandy Diaz uh, after acquiring him from the Cleveland Indians. But really good stuff all around from the Rays. Uh, more into Brandon Lau. 95th percentile in barrel percentage, 93rd percentile in uh, expected slugging percentage, uh, 97th percentile in WOBA, and uh, leads the American League in F4. So that's Fangraph's uh, wins above replacement calculation. Amazing stuff to see from, from Brandon Lau. And he is right now one of the best second basemen. If you look past just this season's numbers, because we're still dealing – with a small sample size, even at the end of this season, it's going to be a small sample size. Could be one of the best second basemen in the American League for years to come, if not the best second baseman. Dom, let's talk about the series against the Red Sox. Obviously, we got to see Brandon Lau mash in that series, but the rest of the team, they uh, broke franchise records in three different offensive categories, probably more. 42 runs scored, 59 hits, 24 extra base hits. Was this the Rays offense and the Rays lineup clicking or was it really showing us how bad the Red Sox pitching staff is this year? I think it's a combination. I think the Red Sox really want Kumar Rocker. And I think our offense, we all is, do. <laughs> I think our offense in that series specifically really showed its potential at the best case scenario. Yeah. And to see, you know, eight runs in game one, eight runs in game two, nine runs in game three. And you always think that last game, it's the getaway game. It's earlier in the day. The bats might not show up. They scored 17 runs in the series finale. They, they won that one 17 to eight. And including um, Hunter Renfro and Mike Zanino, who hit two massive home runs at Fenway Park that according to StatCast never happened. Dom, what's up with that? Why, like if you literally, you, you can look it up. The data is not there from those home runs. What happened there? Well, if you look on Twitter, our guy, Brett Phillips said that he can't prove it, but he says both went 550 feet. Who are we to argue against them? I, I, I trust Brett. He's a doctor or he's trying, you know, becoming a doctor. You have to trust him. Yep. Uh, it, it is weird. And maybe it's because they were hit so incredibly far and they left the ballpark. But the fact that like, we're still days like we're not getting the data for those home runs and the Renfro one and probably the Zeno one too. Like those might've been the two furthest hit home runs for the season for the Rays. 
And uh, well, I mean, we'll never know for sure. So like you said, we'll have to take Brett's word for it. And, you know, if they were approaching that 500 foot number, I know the Red Sox are very protective about that uh, Ted Williams 502 foot uh, home run legend uh, that he hit at Fenway Park. I don't know. They might be trying to protect that quote unquote record there. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the Red Sox pitching staff, though. Well, let, let's talk about that because the Rays' offense was obviously clicking. And offensive numbers around baseball have gone up. Sounds like uh, the pitchers had a bit of an advantage at the start of the season. The batters are finally coming around, and, and, and this is a league-wide thing. Not the way the Rays did it. I mean, the Rays were above and beyond uh, producing above a league average level this past week. But you look at their pitching staff. They trade David Price which is a prop fault of their own. You know, if they, you know, he, he did have a massive contract. He gets traded to the Dodgers. Chris sale goes down with Tommy. He needs Tommy John surgery this year. So he's gone. And Eduardo Rodriguez after testing positive for COVID-19 uh, is diagnosed with myocarditis. Uh, and so he is out for the year. Uh, you know, obviously those last two very unfortunate situations, but the Red Sox really lost their top three starters there. They're forced to use Nate Evaldi who, Love the guy for his few outings with the Rays uh, back in 2018, but not really who you want as your opening day starter. And it hasn't been great with the Red Sox since that World Series run back in 2018. So he's your opening day starter. You're using guys like Ryan Weber um, as a starting pitcher and not working out real well for the Red Sox. And they, like you said, might be gunning for Kumar Rocker. And they are watching them. In 2018, were one of the best teams I'd ever seen. I saw him live like three or four times that year against the Rays. And I, was all, I also saw him at a game at, at Kauffman against the Royals. Just the best in all aspects of the game, one of the best teams I had ever seen play live. Two years removed from that, and they might be the worst team in baseball. Dom, like, what's your overall opinion on the Red Sox this year? I mean, just going back to their rotation, you've got Martin Perez – as they're basically their number two and as a number five, maybe not a terrible signing, but that's just not helping your cause when you're having them that high in the rotation. But just as a team, they have what I would consider to be an acceptable offense. You still have JD Martinez. You still have Xander Bogarts. You have Devers. Those aren't terrible players, but as a unit, they're just not hitting. They're absolutely not pitching. And it's unbelievable that Baltimore, has a better record than them when that was a team that almost everyone could have sharpened in as expected to finish last in the division. And now Boston looks like they're probably going to run away with it. Yeah, they are. They are one. You know, I think the only teams with worse records, uh, the, the Mariners are four and 14 um, or not the Mariners, the pirates are four and 14. Even the Mariners have a better record. San Francisco is playing better Detroit. They're nine and 10. They're having a good season, and a lot of people uh, questioned me. I said on a, it was another the other radio show that I host. I said the Red Sox weren't going to finish third, that the Blue Jays would, and even though the Blue Jays have a bit of a slower start and Baltimore has been hot, um, I, I was definitely right about the Red Sox because they just can't, they don't have the arms. You hope that for these players' sake, that that Chris Sale gets healthy and gets through surgery and rehabs, and Eduardo Rodriguez is able to get back on the mound. And, and those would make those, just those two players alone would make a significant difference um, in, in the Red Sox pitching staff. They do need a lot of help in the bullpen, and uh, don't know where that's going to come from for them. Hopefully, not hopefully. Hopefully, they don't tap into the free agent market there, uh, because it was a. Also, just talking about the series in general. Beating the Red Sox, and this was fun to watch, don't get me wrong, but beating the Red Sox is usually like my favorite thing. I, I hate them way more than the Yankees. And watching the Rays beat and sweep the Red Sox, you know, I couldn't ask for anything else, especially a four-game series in, at Fenway. But with that being said, it was like this almost felt unfair. And yep. it kind of took away from the enjoyment factor of it. I like it when the games are a lot closer – when the games can be chippy, when it feels like there's a lot more on the line. We really only got that feel on Monday's game where it was kind of just an ugly finish and it ended up being a one-run game. But did it take mm -hmm. take anything away from, from your enjoyment factor of those games now? It, for me, it's always I have a strong disinterest – or not disinterest, disliking 
of the Red Sox. And is it the fact that hate Red Sox more than the Yankees or is it Yankees more? It used to be, but I think now that the Yankees are consistently number one, the Yankees are the number one on my dislike list. But going against the Red Sox and just them not having a chance, I'm not going to say I felt bad, but it didn't fill me with as much joy as I thought it would because they are just hopelessly bad. Also, no fans in the stands. You know, love beating the Red Sox at Fenway Park. And the the Fedway has really been trop like trop north for the yeah. Rays. They dominated up there last year. Did they win? Did they lose? Was it like eight and two up there or nine and one last season? I think it was ten and one before, uh, or no, nine and one right before the series started. Yeah, incredible performances last year up there, and to see that continue, uh, you love to see that because you've heard from so many people that the Fenway Park, like the visiting clubhouse. And maybe like the accommodations have changed this year with COVID or they've got more room to space people out, but you can, you know, famously Luke Scott, you know, would publicly make comments about Fenway park. And I think the Rays and Red Sox got into it a little bit over that. Um, Mm -hmm. So really good to see them uh, playing such good baseball up there. And uh, because then you're going from the Fenway park visiting clubhouse, not great to a triple a clubhouse as the Rays went and played the blue Jays not in Toronto, but in Buffalo, New York. So we talked about before opening day that the Blue Jays, not only were they trying to prepare for a season and a crazier for everybody, they didn't even know where they were going to be calling home, which had to be tough for the players, not knowing where they were going to be living for the next uh, two or three months. But finally, they, they were able to – I know they talked about going to Dunedin. There was rumors about them playing at the Trop. And then it sounded like they were going to Pittsburgh and maybe a couple other major league clubs to share. Then they end up uh, at the home of their triple A team, the Buffalo Bisons in Buffalo, New York. And uh, it had to be interesting for the Ray. I mean, I was very nervous about this series. You know, one, it was coming off a sweep. So you're thinking, okay, the the bats have got to go cold. Something's not going to go right here. Uh, The Rays end up taking two or three. Were you nervous going into this? The fact that they were not playing at the Rogers Center, the fact that the team had been playing so well to start the road trip. What were your feelings going into the series? For me, the biggest thing was I hope nobody gets injured because I don't know. I mean, they did say that the field has been made up to major league standards, but who knows on a field you've never played on before. That was the biggest that plus the bad weather. On. And then yep. they had the bad weather all throughout the weekend. Definitely agree with you there. Other than that, I don't know what the accommodations were like for the players. From a viewing perspective, we had to deal with uh, a terrible, terrible camera angle. It did feel like watching a minor league or like a college game or like a dodgy high school stream like for like a perfect game tournament or something like that. Uh, it was not very fun, uh, but uh, <laughs> we, we are very spoiled with the camera angle at the drop and uh, – Buffalo Bisons, I don't know. they got to get their game together with the camera angle. If they That's want to a strong area of dislike for me is when camera angles are, first of all, off-center, but then you have yeah. it as low as it was in Buffalo. It was just a horrible watching experience. It did remind me when I, you know, I would go on MI, you know, MILB TV and I'm trying to watch a, someone start or a prospect play. You're like, what am I watching here? You can't tell. Especially like when you're trying to like evaluate a pitcher, a pitching prospect. Yeah, and you're you're trying to look at their breaking ball and you know the plane, and it's just really hard to to watch a game like that. And uh, yeah, we got through it. I don't know how many more times. I think the race have one more road trip up there. Uh, I think to, so. To yeah. Buffalo. So we'll have to deal with that then. Maybe they For get it me, fixed it's, before then. I doubt it. It's the wind. Whenever you have those cameras that are that far zoomed in, and you get just the tiniest burst of wind, it completely looks like an earthquake. That's yeah. when it's by far the worst. <laughs> And it was, I don't remember which game it was, but there was like weird noises. I don't know if they've got the microphones in weird places. Game one, it was hard to watch. Like I thought about just like putting something else on in the background and watching the game on mute or maybe switching to to the radio broadcast if that would help. But you know what? We got through it. These are our first world problems, uh, you know, especially when the Rays were playing good baseball. Game one wasn't great, though. They dropped that one 12 to four. Still got to see a Brandon Lau home run. Uh, he drove in himself plus Austin Meadows, but then uh, the pitching really fell apart and 
really starting to see what the pitching staff's going through with all these injuries. Um, you got another appearance from one of our better relievers, Mike Brasso, who's got like a career four or five ERA, or he did going into that game. He might have gave up a couple of runs. Um, but oh no, actually, he struck out a batter. That was his first big league strikeout. Yeah, actually, I'm reading it now, but Dom, you wrote the, uh, the recap for this on dracebay.com. So, what was your, if you could, ra- you know, go over that game or re- recap that game in, in just a few sentences, what was your, your overall thoughts? It was just one of those games where nobody had an, a good day to that day. I mean, Richards, he tried his best. I mean, three runs, that's, that's fine. I'll take that from your number six guy covering for your ace. Then the guys who came out of the bullpen, just nobody except Michael Brasso had a good outing. And that <laughs> tells you a lot when you're back up second baseman striking out more guys than the bulk of your innings for that game. So it was it was just a game where I wasn't frustrated at all. It just you could tell everyone was off that day. And that was to be expected. But when that game happened, at that point, instant thought is like, we're getting swept. You know, this is not gonna go well. Uh, the Blue Jays got a good lineup. They've got a lot of talent on their, on their team and uh, was not feeling good. Fortunately, for my sake and for the Rays' sake, they turned things around. You have uh, Saturday's game, which turned into Sunday's game one. Was a weird one. You get Ryan Yarbrough pitching there. And again, to start, looked really good. Unfortunately for, again, the Rays' pitching staff, his outing was cut short. Nothing in his control. Uh, the, the game just got rained out. So he can't go, obviously, on Sunday. You've got to make up those innings because it was still going to be a nine-inning game with someone else. You do get an extra man for the doubleheader. Uh, but with a team that's already dealing with injuries and already pulling from depth, losing the rest of that Yarbrough start, which might have been two, three, four more innings, that, how does that hurt? How badly does that hurt? It hurts because they went nine innings. If they would have made it a seven-inning game and made today a doubleheader, I think there would have been absolutely no worry about it. But the fact that they said, no, play nine innings, then play seven innings game two, that made you use a lot of a lot more guys than you probably plan to use. I think it makes sense, though, to finish off the nine yeah. innings. You started that game under the assumption that it was a nine-inning game. It's not like it was supposed to be a seven-inning game. Uh, it was supposed to be nine innings. It makes sense. But it, but it definitely hurt, hurt the pitching staff. The Rays go on to win that one. Um, 3-2, Austin Meadows picked up a home run um, off of Anderson from the Blue Jays. And, uh, yeah, it, it was uh, – I mean, it's hard to talk about this game and the fact that it happened over two days. But Brandon Lau, three for five. Yandy Diaz, uh, two for four. Like I said, he is getting on base at a really high clip. Did he, did he draw? Yeah, he drew a walk in that game as well. Uh, I want to pull up his numbers really quickly. Uh, in 2020, slash line of 301, 433. And then um, it's not showing me a slugging percentage right here, but it is 329. So, yeah, obviously the extra base is only two doubles, no home runs for Yanni Diaz. So that OPS is just sitting at 762. But the fact that it's at 70, at 762 with just a 329 slugging percentage, just shows you how much he's getting on base. He's already drawn, drawn 17 walks or 18 walks, including one intentional walk and struck out just 11 times. Uh, love what I'm seeing out of Yandy Diaz. Just need to see him. Is it a launch angle thing, Dom, with, with Yandy? It's launch angle. It's batted ball direction. His bat just right now seems out of sorts. But like you said, he's drawing walks. And even though he may not be hitting everything, at least he's getting on base. Yeah, and you hope that maybe that works out because that was always kind of the, the problem with Yandy Diaz when the Rays acquired him. And the fact that that was part of the reason why a lot of Rays fans were like, were very confused by the Jake Bowers trade. So you got this guy, yeah, he's ripped, but he doesn't really hit home runs. I think he had one or two career home runs in Cleveland. I think two. How does he fit in? He, yeah, and then the Rays, you know, he hits 14 last season and he only played like two-thirds of the season, if that, you know, he, with, with some of the injuries he dealt with. Comes off the IL just before the end of the regular season and then hits in the leadoff spot in the wild card game and, and smacks two home runs in that game. Uh, so, love Yanni Diaz. Would love to see him get some of that power back. And I do not think Rays fans should panic. We're going to talk about some of the other performances from the Rays 
from this past week and then look ahead to the series against the New York Yankees. Uh, but first, we're going to hear it from our sponsors. And we're back talking more about some of the top race performances from this past week and the start of this road trip uh, as they head into the last leg of the road trip at Yankee Stadium against the Yankees. Dom, Willie Adamas, a guy that we saw blossom into one of the faces of the franchise last year as the race shortstop. Talk to me about how good he's been in 2020. Willie Adamas has been another level this season. I mean, 284, 317, 522 slash nine, almost a 900 OPS. The defense, besides a rough first week or two, and really you could attribute that to just spring training, he's been awesome defensively, and he's finally hitting to what – I mean, he was never supposed to be a great hitter as a prospect, but there was always flashes of the bat in AAA specifically, and so he's finally starting to look like a full-on major league hitter. In the Boston series – he had a 1,500 OPS. I mean, and that was attributed to the whole offense going off. But he really was a major part of the offense in that series. And then the Toronto series, three hits. But most importantly, the go-ahead two-run home run in game two of the doubleheader. Willie has just really impressed with the bat to a level that I don't know if we would have expected coming into the season. Yeah, you look at some of his numbers fourth out of all shortstops in baseball in WRC plus that's sitting at 150. Uh, he's only got 68 plate appearances on the season, but really good stuff. Uh, OPS a hair under 900. Um, you know, I said he's fourth in all of baseball, second in the American league, just behind Bo Bichette, who just went on the IL. And obviously we don't want to see that, but you know, out of active American league shortstops, Willie Adamas has been the best hitter out of all of them. And the defense has been pretty dang good too. I know, just looking at the errors, especially those first couple weeks of the season, he had a few. Some of them were ugly. A couple of really bad throws that put the Rays in bad situations. Uh, but that is not the best way or the only way to look at defense, I should say. And given what we saw, especially in the second half of last year, out of Willie Adamas at shortstop defensively, no reason to worry there. He has been extremely productive, uh, you know, hit, hits the ball hard. And today we got to talk about it. Uh, gives the Rays uh, the, the lead late in the game. Uh, one of the best moments in the regular season, I think, so far. And it was, I don't know if I still have it pulled up, but a laser to right I've center got field. It for you. Give me the numbers, Dom. Well, off the bat, 107.1 with a 23 degree launch angle. It went 425 feet. Yeah. Ooh, love that. You know, in those home runs to like not all the way opposite field, but like right center for a righty and left center for a lefty. And we've seen Yoshi hit him to left center a couple times with his couple home runs. Like those to me are just absolutely beautiful because you're letting the ball travel. You're providing a lot of the power and you're just driving it, not all the way to the other field, but into that, you know, right center for Willie Adamas and a, an absolute laser for him. 86th percentile in the big leagues in hard hit percentage, uh, 78th percentile in exit velo. He, he is really everything that Rays fans could have ever expected out of a shortstop. And he has been a project like in the works for the Rays since 2014. Like just can't forget that he was like, he, he was acquired in the David Price trade and to watch him and wait for him. Cause he was 18 year old, 18 years old when he showed up in the Rays organization and to watch him grow into becoming one of the best shortstops in the American league has been really exciting. And we keep talking about Wander Franco who's still there kind of waiting in the wings, but Willie Adamas, like he's setting himself up to it's like, well, you're gonna have to move him over to third base or over to second base. Cause I am not moving from shortstop. And uh, that has been exciting. Another guy who has had a ton of doubters, uh, in uh, within the fan base, Michael Brasso, an undrafted free agent out of Oakland University, uh, was a killer for the Durham Bulls the last couple of years, and uh, gets his cup of coffee in the big leagues, and then mo and then more uh, is Michael Brasso. Dom, talk to me about Brasso, how he's forced the Rays' hand because I really didn't think he was going to get innings. I know there are a lot of other people at D Rays Bay that didn't think he was going to see the light of the light of day on the active roster. 
how has he forced himself into the race plans? I would have never expected him to be threatening for an everyday roster spot, but you look at how every single year in the minors he's been promoted. And then once he finally gets to the majors, it's like he's basically playing in the minors again where everything's coming easy to him. This year with a 367 average, 424 on base and 767 slugging, 1200 OPS. He is just hitting the ball every time the pitch is thrown to him. And he's walking as well. Not necessarily at the highest rate, but 7%. It's better than not walking at all. The problem is that he's striking out a little bit at 30%, but it's hard to complain about when he is making contact. It's very legitimate. He's got an ex-woba of almost 400. His average exit velo is 90 miles an hour. He's hitting the ball pretty fairly well. Yeah, and you, I, I always thought that role that he's playing, the, the right-handed hitting infielder, sometimes left fielder, more of the utility guy, like that for me was always penciled in for maybe a few years, Daniel Robertson. And especially given the 2018 he had, where he had a 797 OPS, hit nine home runs, looked really good. Then 2019, he deals with some injuries, He's not great at the plate. He's got the, the on-base percentage is down to 312. Uh, you know, the slugging percentage down to 295. The, the power looked all but gone, only two home runs. And then you're thinking, well, with the expanded rosters, like he's going to get a chance in 2020 to not only make the roster, but to play. And he has not made – he was on the roster for a few days when Diego Castillo went on the paternity list, but he has yet to make an appearance in 2020. Is Daniel Robertson's time with the Rays, or at least his time with the Rays where you could like see him in the starting lineup at some point, is that all but gone? I think bearing some hot streak as a pinch hitter, bench bat role, I don't see him starting again as much as that pains me to say, because I really thought he would be the super utility man of the future. But it just seems like injuries and diminishing plate appearances i'm not sure if i see it happening and again it goes back to look at all these guys that the race have coming through the pipeline when you throw you know daniel robertson was already going to be dealing with that if he was still on the big on the big league roster right now now you throw mike brasso in the mix who is absolutely killing it this season that just cuts back on the opportunities for robertson and unfortunately for him as with a number of other guys there's no minor league system for him. You know, he, he's not playing in Durham. He's down in Port Charlotte at the alternate site with the rest of the player pool, but he's not getting those real in-game plate appearances for him to prove himself. Now they're playing simulated games. Like he's getting opportunities in front of staff, in front of the coaching staff at, in Port Charlotte, but a guy that could really use an opportunity uh, to, to prove himself at the game level just isn't getting it this year. I wouldn't be shocked, and again, this is just a guess. I, you know, I haven't heard anything. Uh, but if, if, if a big league club needed a middle infielder or needed a right-handed bat, that Daniel Robertson could get moved by the Rays uh, before the uh, trade deadline here in a couple of weeks. It's not going to be a busy trade deadline across baseball. But this is a guy that has produced at the big league level, can play pretty much anywhere on the infield, and maybe in the outfield, but probably not. Uh, and, and is a guy that I, I do think deserves another big league chance. And I hope he gets it, whether it be with the Rays or with someone else. But yeah, Mike Brasso really kind of uh, taking over Daniel Robertson's role there. And, and he's earned it uh, by and large, um, given what he did in AAA. And then he comes up and, and replicates that in the big leagues. The next guy who had uh, his best start of the season uh, last week at Fenway Park Blake Snell, and we're going to get to see him again at Yankee Stadium. Uh, Blake Snell is the Rays were still building him up. His first three starts, you're thinking, okay, he's not going to get out of the, you know, he, got, he went three innings or he went like two and a third, then three, and then three again, and finally goes five innings in his last start. Through four, in, four starts, 13 innings pitched, Blake's got a 2.08 ERA. He struck out 20 batters and, and walked just four. Dom, what have you seen out of Blake Snell this year? Why should race fans be excited about how well he's pitched? Well, what I've seen for the first three starts is elevated fastballs way out of his control. And what I didn't see in the Red Sox start was none of that. He had his fastball. He had a slider. He had his curveball. He wasn't throwing many changeups. 
but he was striking guys guys out like vintage Snell. And it's weird to say vintage, but after last season, <laughs> who knew if we were going to get Cy Young caliber Snell again? And even last season, he was good. It's just the injury with the toe, and we weren't going to get a full the season loose out bodies. Of yeah, the loose bodies surgery, surgery removal. Uh, but so far this year, he's been building up and he's been looking good while building up. And I think it was Brian in the uh, Slack who mentioned that part of the conditioning towards building up is you're going to throw a lot of high fastballs. You're not going to have – that's the mm-hmm. last thing that comes back. And mm-hmm. it seemed like that was finally back against the Red Sox. He threw 70 pitches, which, again, promising, I think 75. is what they said the target was. So after five innings, you can put a bow tie on that. So I'm liking what I'm seeing from the buildup. And the ERA is only 2.08. Yeah, and uh, he's looked good. Uh, the command and the control uh, at the beginning of the season when he's still getting back in there, you know, needed some work, but but he's definitely getting better every single start he goes out there. We're going to get to see him Tuesday, facing off against Masahiro Tanaka at Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium hasn't been uh, one of the hot spots for Blake Snell. Now things are going to be a little bit easier for him. No Aaron Judge, no Giancarlo Stanton. No DJ LeMahieu, the three probably the three best bats outside of Glaber Torres in the Yankees lineup. That's going to make things a lot easier for Blake Snell. And again, those guys are all injured. We don't want to see that. Um, but with those three guys out there, should Rays fans be a lot more confident in Snell's ability to work through that very tough Yankees lineup on Tuesday night? I, I would say yes without those big guys in their lineup. My question is going to be, how is the offense going to do against Tanaka, Cole, Paxton? That's where my real worry is. Yeah. It's crazy because even without LeMahieu, Judge, and Stanton, you look at the right-handed bats in that lineup. Luke Voigt, Gio Urshela, who's got a lot of pop, Glaber Torres, Gary Sanchez. You know, these are like their worst right-handed hitter in that lineup is Clint Frazier, and he is not a bad baseball player. With Aaron Judge not being a lineup, you just took up the guy who Blake Snell is probably the best against, funny enough. Yeah, so exactly. That's be interesting. The guy that he can strike out, him and Stanton. You know, like yep. those are guys that maybe match up well against Snell if he can get the ball by him. When they make contact, it's usually not pretty for Blake, but he's got a good history against them. Now, you know, this is still a difficult lineup. So take those three guys out of there. Still going to be a tough time, especially in that, in that ballpark, which I just hate when the Rays play there because – you know, I know it's like the short porch in right field, but it's not that far out there in left field either. And medium fly balls turn into home runs a lot in that ballpark. I hate it. I hate watching games there. And I hate watching Tanaka pitching against the race because he usually, you know, does like – was it last year? Was Did he throw a complete game in less than 100 pitches or like just over yeah. 100 pitches? And yeah, he was – he had that complete one, game. He had like a 1.8-something ERA against us. My God. And, and this year he's off to a good start through – he's only got 11 and two-thirds innings. Again, another guy that's still being built up. He dealt with an injury uh, in summer camp, took that that really scary injury uh, when Stanton lined a, a ball in a live game uh, off of his head. But he's getting back into it. And, and, you know, in his start against the Rays at the Trop, five innings pitched, only one hit. Uh, no earned runs, five strikeouts, no walks. So, again, worried about how the offense will fare in that game. Uh, I, could ex- I would expect it now that both guys are closer to being fully built up to be a very low-scoring affair, even at Yankee Stadium, and I know that's hard to say with the way that both of these offenses have been performing. Let's look at Wednesday night's game. Two former Pirates uh, pitchers, Garrett Cole and Tyler Glasnow, who have both uh, seen uh, greener pastures in other locations. Garrett Cole, obviously, uh, in Houston, really turned his career – Not his, he, he was a really good pitcher in Pittsburgh, don't get me wrong, but he became one of the best pitchers in baseball as a member of the Houston Astros, obviously signs a massive contract with the New York Yankees, and uh, he'll be facing off against Tyler Glass now. Do you think the Rays have a chance here? I do. With how much we've seen Cole – Lately, and I would consider the ALDS to be lately, I think this is our best chance to finally have a big game against them. I think we put up one run against them, one or two, in the last inning of his outing, the last time we faced them. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think we, we chased we him might in the fifth. Finally you you didn't chance. get out of the fifth. Right. I, 
uh, yeah, I think so too. Uh, he did strike out 10 and only walked one in that game. Uh, I know that they did get, I don't, I don't remember who hit the home run. Uh, it might've been Lau again. I know we talked about this earlier, but um, yeah, Gary Cole, scary. Tyler Glass now going to need a, a, a good start from him because I don't know how many opportunities the Rays are going to have to get on the board. Uh, it's been, you know, in terms of ERA, over 15 and a third innings, he's got a 7.04 ERA. He's given up 12 runs, um, but I don't think race fans need to worry. He struck out 27 batters uh, in those 15 and a third innings. Tyler Glass now is going to figure it out. He needs to get the walks down a little bit, not give away free passes in that stadium uh, because you can give away a solo home run, but you give start giving away two, three run home runs in that ballpark when you're facing off against Garrett Cole, it's not going to be pretty. The next guy. Uh, that the Rays are going to be facing on Thursday. We don't know who's going to be pitching for the Rays. We think it might be Trevor Richards' day or a mixture of Richards, and maybe you see uh, Sledgers or Ryan Thompson or a number of guys. But James Paxton, who has not had a good 2020 season, but another guy who, until the Rays got a big hit off of him late, Brandon Lau and Mike Brasso each hit home runs off of him, uh, did very, very well against the Rays, struck out, uh, I think it was 11 batters, walked just one at Tropicana Field. The Rays went on to win that game, um, and, and they, they chased him in the seventh with two home runs. But James Paxton, a guy that, you know, he's a left-handed pitcher. The Rays' offense isn't as good against lefties. Like, to be honest with you, Dom, I can be somewhat optimistic about Tuesday's game with Snell on the mound after what he did last week. But you look at the three pitchers that the Rays are going to face, Probably worst case scenario. Absolutely. I would say out of all the randomizers you could have put, the MLB decided or the Yankees decided to spit out the worst possible matchups for us. But with the way we chase Cole and pass it out of the games, I still have some optimism. Tanaka, I'm not sure because the way he's pitched against us last season, no matter how good or bad he is doing against other teams, it seems like he's automatic against us. So we'll see. I mean, Paxton last season, I remember he had the issues with the first inning. So that could be a point of emphasis for the Rays. Chase him in the first inning or like the last inning, chase him out of the game. So we'll see with that one. But we've got guys like Renfro, Martinez, Margot, lefty Mm -hmm. specialists, you could say. So that should be an interesting matchup, that third game. Margot, also a guy that uh, is super hot. And uh, we didn't really talk about him that much, but I, I said in the Slack and I put it on Twitter, I had to brag about myself. And I think I talked about it a little bit with Darby, but he had a rough uh, start to the season. He's obviously dealing with a lot of stuff personally. And uh, I, I predicted in the Slack that at some point over this road trip, he was going to go four for four, uh, make some nice catches in the outfield. In game one of the road trip against the Red Sox, four for four, gets on base five times, absolutely crushing it. And since then, He's been really solid at the plate and really solid in the outfield. And he's a guy that you can plug and play in left, center, or right field. And the Rays have done so and has been the player I think Rays fans were expecting. Uh, and that is Manuel Margot. Looking at the road trip as a whole, the fact that you swept Boston four from four, then you take two out of three from Toronto. So you're now six and one on the road trip. You've built up a lot of goodwill on this road trip to the point where you don't want to get swept by the Yankees, especially with how short the season is, and especially if like your eyes are still set on the, the AL East title, which they should be, you could lose this series and really even get swept in this series and still call this a successful road trip with the fact that you, you took both of the series in the, in the first part of the road trip. So, Dom, would you be satisfied taking just one from this series? You don't want to get swept. We don't want to get swept. but Satisfied? No understand it yes you know you fit if you go if you take one you go seven and three on the road trip and like if you went into going into this road trip and i said seven and three the Rays, would you take that what 10 times out of 10 you have to so the fact that they're going into this series with that leeway even though not so much because the yankees are still leading the division uh it is uh comforting to say the least before you come home and i already took the schedule off my uh uh, you just don't want to get passed by baltimore which is something i never thought (laughs) i'd say (laughs) right and they just keep winning for some reason like i know it's like they'll probably fall out of it late the pitching is just not gonna be able to hold up for them uh but they've got a good lineup 
much like the Red Sox, but they're pitching at this point better than the Red Sox. So Rays are going to be finishing up this three-game series, uh, finishing up this road trip before coming home. You get Toronto and Baltimore again. If it feels like you're playing these guys a lot, it's because it is. It's because we are. Uh, you're playing everyone in the AL East for like 10 games each, and only other teams are in the NL East. So weird schedule, but it's a weird season. Uh, Dom, thank you so much uh, for hopping on, making your debut. You are welcome on any time. We've been trying to get you on the show probably you know as long as this show's been on D-Race Bay. So glad you could make it on. And, uh, yeah, tell, tell everyone where they can find you on Twitter. Twitter.com slash DomHunt18, D-O-M-H-U-N-T-1-8. You'll be looking for a green McLaren as the profile. Yes. Love it. Love it. Obviously, you've definitely seen, if you follow D-Race Bay on Twitter, uh, some of Dom's work in the video world, in the GIF, GIF world. Yes, Dom, I'm going to keep saying it. And uh, some of the great graphics he's been putting out as well, especially for the greatest race player bracket that the hit show is doing. You've been putting together those bracket uh, graphics, right? Yeah. And we are coming to a close there. Evan Longoria, G-Man Choi in the final round. Uh, that's been fun to follow, even though we're past like the March bracket uh, on social media, like madness that it really is March madness. Um, but yeah, once again, thank you, Dom for hopping on the show today. That is going to do it for this week's raise your voice. If you subscribe to this podcast feed, you'll get new episodes of this show and the hit show downloaded directly to your device. If your platform allows it rating and reviewing our feed is the best way to keep spreading what we do to more and more race fans. Don't forget to keep checking out the great work and the great coverage of the 2020 season on uh, dracebay.com game re game recaps game day threads a ton of other analysis on the rays and, and what they've been doing so far this year thank you guys for listening and i'll talk to you next week hey guys you're probably wondering why you're not hearing the outro music for this week's episode of raise your voice quite yet and that's because we've got a little extra tidbit for you here. Dom and I, as we went through the episode, we took a break there in the middle to do, to do the ad and then to jump into the, the next part of the show. We got into a really great conversation about uh, Brandon Lau and Blake Snell. Not only their performances the last few years, but also their contract extensions, which, which both came right before the 2019 season and why the Rays made those decisions and why they're going to be beneficial for the Rays moving forward. And we were just kind of chit-chatting, and then all of a sudden I'm like, this should be on the podcast. This is really good insight. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. So I'm just going to go ahead and play that now, and then we'll be out of here for the week. You know, another thing, I mean, that Brennan Lau extension, if he keeps, <laughs> that's crazy. That's looking good. That was that was and that was like a big shocker. It didn't shock me that they did it. Like after it happened, I'm like, yeah, that kind of makes sense. Like they just when the Rays like a guy, like they do not care about public opinion. Like they're gonna right. do it. But I just wasn't expecting it. Caught me off guard. I I wasn't expecting you exactly. Like it, I have no qualms with it being loud or anything. It's just like okay, that's surprising. And I remember that morning listening to WDAE. And they were just ripping <laughs> the Rays for that. And that I was steaming right. in the car. I was like, it, cause they were like, why would you pick someone like random like Lau and not like Snell, who's your ace? Or Thomas. Anyone who's like even keenly interested in the, the prospect pool is like, this kid's going to be able to hit. Just it's a, a worthwhile investment. Even if he hits, I don't know, even if he hits like Vlad Jr. is now like, I would still be happy with that contract in that term. Yeah. And then the, the Snell extension came like a few days after, you know, it's like, yeah, and that was they, were, they were obviously at that point working on something with Snell. I was always convinced that the Rays were going to offer Snell an extension and he wasn't going to take it. No, I agree. I, I thought the same thing. And so when people during that off season, during that spring training, when everyone was really upset, like after he got, uh, like initially his contract was just renewed at league minimum or like, yeah, he got, he got a 15 K increase. It's like people were up and on. I'm like, I, I think the Rays would love to extend him, but he's, yeah. like, he's either going to say like, okay, this is how much I need. And it was going to be a crazy high number or I'm just not going to extend. And like, really what, you know, it brought out all the RBRs plus one for Snell. Mm -hmm. So it's like, 
if 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 Snell keeps the same trajectory and he's going to hit free agency at a point where he's going to be like way out of the Rays' price range and the Rays are going to be forced to trade him, like that adds like one more year to when they would have traded him. And even if we're trading him one year prior to free agency, you're trading, let's assume he's a three ERA guy with high strikeout numbers. You're trading that at 10 million instead exactly. of instead of whatever astronomical number we would have got in arbitration. Yeah, like you're going to get a lot. Like that's a super team-friendly deal, especially if you're a team that's like maybe inching close to the luxury tax, wants to get someone in at, you know, he's making 12 and a half in 2022 and 16 in 2023. With the luxury tax going to be going up, like mm-hmm. for a team that's competing for a World Series at that point, and hopefully it's still the raise, and hopefully, you know, they can keep extending him. But if that's not the case and you get – two more seasons out of him or two and a half or three more seasons. Like you could get a lot. You get a huge haul for him again. If he like keeps like producing at the same rate. Fingers crossed the pirates are still in the market for a starter. <laughs> yeah. Who, who else you got Pittsburgh? Send, send them our way. <laughs> I just feel like they, if they see a call, they're just going to be like, no. Yeah, absolutely. Another gonna, thing with Lau is that was after his rookie, like cup of coffee, no pun intended where he was just awesome. And then it's like, okay, if everything that came off the bat was legitimate, so why wouldn't Rays at least take that waiver and sign him? He was was one plate appearance from losing his rookie eligibility because he was technically a rookie last year. Yep. Yep.